Hi everyone, I'm Wendy Muse, creator of the Left Pocket Project, which brings you the history of leftists of color, one swipe at a time. And this is the Left Pocket Project podcast. Um, make sure, by the way, that if you're listening to this, that you've subscribed to our channel, of course, via iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, all the areas where you can get your podcasts um, or podcasts as video, by the way. Um, Also, make sure that you check us out on social media, via Twitter, Facebook, all those little social media outlets, platforms, whatever you want to call them. Um, Oh, and also, and most importantly, make sure that you check us out on Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash leftpoc, where you can donate a dollar or more per month uh, to support our channel slash platform slash project. Um, And also, of course make sure that you check it out because there's so many resources there that aren't necessarily available elsewhere but that are still free to the public so make sure that you check those out that includes books updates um, interviews that I've done with other people or that Richard has done with other people um, and other projects or platforms channels etc and sometimes just general goodies information about um, leftist thought politics etc so just make sure you check that out Um, I've got to do some updates and some housekeeping over there, but it will get done. I'm just still kind of dusting everything off everywhere. (laughs) Um, Dusting the cobwebs off of all of our uh, left POC related pages uh, and getting on top of that. So anyway, let's get started. I actually almost missed today's Podmas installment because I'm not feeling well. (laughs) It's a really good way to start off this project, right? Because I said to myself, as yesterday when I recorded, like, am I going to be able to do this every single day? But I am going to do my best. Um, So I'm still technically going to be getting something to you, um, or at least recording it today. It won't be posted today, uh, Friday, Black Friday. Um, So sorry about that. There won't be like 10 extra bonus episodes on Black Friday as a discount or something, because everything's already free. Um, But I will be posting this after I record it. So right now it is 11.50. So as I said, I just <laughs> I just made it under the wire. It was one of those kinds of nights where it's like, okay, uh, I'm not even going to eat dinner. I'm just so tired and I passed out um, and I'm just not feeling well in general. Um, for some of you who may have been keeping track of the news, um, you may have seen that like some... Um, Some people had sort of really weird period-like symptoms after they had their, um, their COVID shot. Um, and there's been some research in recent months that's been coming out about this and there's ongoing research regarding how it's impacting, uh, menstruation. And so just to be perfectly transparent, this might be a little TMI for some folks, but bear with me because that's life. Um, so anyway, I had my first two shots many months ago, um, and was fine. Didn't really have any, 
I didn't have any period related symptoms, just being perfectly honest. I had other symptoms, the typical ones like a little bit of headache, flu-like symptoms, fatigue, you know, um, soreness at the injection site, etc. The usual suspects of the um, COVID-19 shot. I had Pfizer. And then this time around, I got a booster uh, because, as some of you may know, I have MS. And I'll have a recording about that today, um, later on. Not today, sorry, tomorrow. I should say Saturday um, about that as well. But I um, I was like, I have MS and I travel to New York to teach. And so just for the purposes of being safe um for my family and myself, let me get a booster shot, right? And, you know, I'm taking all the precautions. I wear a mask literally everywhere um, I go, especially indoors. I try to, I tend to wear a mask outside too, unless it's like right after I got off the train and I just need to breathe. Or like if I get food on the go or coffee or something when I'm in New York, um, or of course when I'm eating, uh, those are the only times and eating, when I say that, I mean outside. <laughs> um, I'm not wearing a mask, right? So, uh, but generally speaking, um, that's because I'll be on the train for hours a day. And then I don't want to have a mask on. Like, if I wore a mask outside too, that would be like, literally, I have a mask on at all times of the day. And that's not ideal just for, like, my brain. <laughs> I need some fresh air, you know. But anyway, backing up and going back to what I was talking about, um... This time around, I got my booster, and, like, everything was fine, really, after I got it. I had some arm soreness and a little bit of fatigue, um, but that was really it. Like, I didn't have any other symptoms, um, and the interesting thing is that the week that I got it, um, the week that I got the booster, I got my period, so it was, like, really light, normal. Like, I feel like after having the baby, my period kind of shifted. Um, I had a C-section, so that that can change uh, for any, like, people out there who've had C-sections or, like, any sort of uterine surgery, you know that sometimes after that happens, your period gets, like, a reset. It's kind of nice, uh, because sometimes those, those first few periods are, like, mad light, and you don't have anything, um, that, like, resembles what you may have been dealing with prior to that. But, um, so this time around, though, I, it's like, I'm like, am I okay? Like, am I, like I'm I just feel like this period is oh really rough um and yeah I, I I question like you know when I go to the bathroom and like I'm just like am I how am I still alive after all this you know there's like this this really stupid joke um that's you know borderline misogynist but also kind of funny in the sense that it it points to you know the strength of like <laughs> um, women or in general, just dealing with periods. Um, and it goes something like this, you know, they say, what, what bleeds seven days and doesn't die? Or like, what's the only thing that bleeds seven days and doesn't die? And the answer is a woman. Right. Um, and you know, (laughs) I'm at that stage today where I'm like, uh, am, am I a ghost by now? I know that's how bad it's been. So I'm just kind of wondering what's happening. Um, I don't know if it has anything to do with the COVID shot. And even if it does, I've been, as I said, kind of following this research. I have a friend who reported, uh, on Facebook a few months ago that she's been dealing with really crazy periods after getting her COVID shot. And so I had been kind of loosely following the research just out of curiosity, um, because I've, I've been really interested in, in COVID related research, um, 
But I also was following it, following it on behalf of my friend because of what she had been posting. And so I had been looking into kind of like, what's the progress been on this, this work? And sure enough, now I'm wondering if I'm also having um, some side effects related to uh, COVID and, and menstruation and whatnot. Um, so who knows, you know, it, it could be related to that. It could be that um, my regular period is just coming back in full force uh, after a few months of a break uh, of not being too wild. Uh, I don't know. I mean, and, and. I, I literally have no idea. So it'll, I'll kind of have to go, I'll have to brace, base it on what happens for the rest of this period and then maybe the next few months, um, see how things go. If nothing gets worse than this, then I, I really don't have anything to worry about. And it may have just been a fluke. Uh, but if it goes back to being, if it goes to being really bad regularly, then I'll have to kind of <laughs> go back to that research and figure out what's happening. Um, so anyway, like I said, a little TMI, but we're all adults here, I hope, or at least folks who are responsible enough to hear the word period and we're words, I should say, period and menstruation and not, uh, you know, recoil and disgust. Um, and if you are doing that, you might want to check, uh, check on yourself and make sure that you're okay with, uh, basic biological processes of human beings. Um, and then come back because... <laughs> I talk about a whole lot more graphic things than that, at least with regard to, um, you know, human suffering and whatnot. So if that sort of language bothers you, then this is not the podcast for you. And many others aren't as well. You might want to stick to uh, the kids channels out there. But anyway, um, today is actually, in case you couldn't tell, going to be a comrade mommy episode. So just to put make that very clear, it's a comrade mommy episode. Um, and as I say that, let me turn on the baby monitor now. Uh, you're going to hear a little bit of my child's rain machine in her sound machine in the background. So just forgive that. I'm going to have it on the lowest setting in terms of sound. So anyway, um, you know, uh, in today's episode, I, I want to talk a bit about paperwork. And I tweeted recently about this um <laughs> lots of lots of mothers replied about their similar experiences in pa with paperwork and kind of the nightmare of paperwork um but I want to talk a little bit about bureaucracy and um paperwork and things like that and how it affects mothers disproportionately um especially in our hyper capitalist and hyper bureaucratic system um and I also just you know, kind of want to have a check-in with folks. It's the day after Thanksgiving in the United States. And for those of you who are here and like celebrated the holiday or did something with family or whatever, um, and especially if you are also a mother, uh, a parent in general, but especially a mother, um, you know that this holiday can be really labor intensive. Even if you're not the main one doing the cooking, it's still labor intensive because you have to like wrangle your kids. You have to dress them for whatever, you know, like we feel obligated to have our kids like look a certain way for holidays sometimes, um, in this culture. And then we, you know, we have to make something for dinner or buy wine or buy a dessert or do something. And there's always like a task for holidays. And I was just sort of reflecting in general how this affects mothers disproportionately. Um, and that goes for many holidays, right? Not just Thanksgiving. Um, you know, my husband's family is from Turkey and Muslim, and 
they, at Ramadan, they have these humongous um, dinners to break the fast every day. And like, (laughs) you know, my husband sometimes will casually be talking about it and how great it is and how fun it is and, you know, how great it is to go to all these different family members' homes for dinner each day. And, you know, I said, oh, how does that generally work? And he said something, you know, as a loosely, uh, in, in a loose response, something like, you know, we'll, we'll have it at different uncles' houses or cousins' houses or whatever. And I was like, no, no, I don't mean, like, how do the logistics of it work in terms of where you have it, but, like, generally... I want to drill down more and ask, you know, like, how often does one woman have to cook for that many people? <laughs> I'm thinking about the mom in that family uh, who's hosting that night, you know, the, the Ramadan dinner or whatever. And I was curious about, like, how many times a month the women in his family um, have to cook for, like, 20-plus people and host them in their homes and, like, clean up after them and all this stuff. And, you know, nobody has a maid or anything like that. It's not that kind of family. They have, you know, they're, like, middle class, lower middle class, um, and and really somewhat more traditional um, in that sense. And so the women are the ones doing all the work, right? They're, they're buying the groceries. They're cooking everything up. They're hosting everyone. Their house has to be clean when they come over somehow magically, and then it has to be clean somehow magically after they leave. And so it's just, it's a lot of work for like one or two people. Because when I say two people, sometimes, you know, if the daughter lives in the house or whatever. Um, But when I was reflecting on that and asking these questions, you know, I just thought about the simple fact that like Thanksgiving and major holidays here are very similar in that, you know, the woman of the house, the mother, uh, the matriarch, whatever, will buy the food sometimes will be the one often actually will be the one who uses her own money to buy that food who works during the day and then uh, does this like homemaking magic on weekends and nights <laughs> on her second and third shift um on top of that child care and whatever else she's doing um so then you will you'll see these women like cook and clean and have family over for the holidays and then on top of it being like a pandemic. So there's the stress of has everyone, if you care about this sort of thing, you know, has everyone been vaccinated? Has everyone been careful? Is it safe for them to be around my children and my, my, especially younger children, if they haven't been vaccinated yet or immunocompromised family members or whatever, um, other people that she cares for in her life, she's going to worry about that. And then on top of that, after everyone eats and is done and sitting down for football or whatever, she's already starting to load stuff in the dishwasher, hand wash things with a smile on her face, right? Like she has to be the happy homemaker or the happy hostess. And um, maybe it's just because I'm from the South, but I definitely see that sort of thing replicated with many holidays, right? It's not just my husband's very traditional family in Ramadan in Turkey. It's my family in the United States, in Tennessee, or in Mississippi, um, and other people's families too, right? And so this is kind of a check-in on those of you who are mothers um, who definitely are bearing the disproportionate burden of having to do the work during holidays that aren't really holidays for you, right? It's like holidays sometimes for, for mothers are... And women in general are like extremely stressful times that add to your already overloaded plate, right? Um, and so just 
shouting y'all out and recognizing the work that you've done and hoping that you've managed at some point between now and then to take a break or that you will take a break this weekend or that you have some way to relax at some point in the near future. I know that that's not enough and we need to live in a society that actually does a better job supporting women and mothers in particular. Um, But, you know, we live in a very misogynistic, patriarchal society, whether or not it wants to represent itself that way. You know, we have all these silly little um, surface level changes. And in many ways, what I see and may comment on later is major steps back all the time. Um, so we're, we're taught much like in, with regard to any other aspect of our system, right? That like these little, these little surface level uh, representation based gains are supposed to satisfy all the other needs we have on a much deeper level. Um, it's supposed to make us feel equal, but like feelings don't put food on the table and feelings don't take care of my child when she's sick and feelings don't clean up the house for me and feelings don't, um, you know, like do all the work that I have to do. Right. So I don't care about representation as much if I'm not seeing any sort of gains in my daily life and in changes in the system that doesn't support women and doesn't support mothers and children in particular. Um, so just to check in on that before I get started to talk about paperwork, I hope that y'all are doing okay. Um, and I hope that you have a chance to kind of dedicate some time to yourself. Um, and I don't, again, I don't mean that in like a very superficial kind of self-care sort of way. Um, but like shout out to the original meaning of self-care from Audre Lorde. Uh, someone was talking about it the other day, how like Audre Lorde's idea of self-care has been completely distorted by this kind of hyper-capitalist whitewashing misappropriation, um, that you see in some kind of neoliberal, uh, spaces and particularly the neoliberal co-opted kind of activist, quote unquote, activist spaces, um, that, that make self-care about like, again, joining in this hyper-capitalist rat race of sorts to like, go get your nails done, go get a massage, but like go spend some money so that you can take care of yourself when in actuality, we should be, we should be getting taken care of by a system that offers support on a daily basis, on a regular basis, so that we don't get to the point where we're burnout constantly and feeling like we have to, to kind of satiate any, um, like need that we have for relaxation amid massive levels of exhaustion. We shouldn't feel the need to have to like placate um, through these capitalist means that just put the burden back on more women, right? Like the people who give you that massage, the people who do your nails, the people who do your hair, the people who make your clothes that you go treat yourself to. Those women are all like, those industries are overwhelmingly, uh, you know, filled with women workers who are poorly paid and like can't unionize and abused and so many things. So there are layers to this. Right. And I think that this idea of, um, self-care in the way that it manifests now is really dangerous and again, more harmful to women, but that's an aside for another day. Maybe I'll do a Podmas episode about that. I should do that actually. Uh, that leaning in on other women thing I've talked about before, but I think in the care industry and what we consider, you know, the beauty industry in particular, there's a lot of extra burden on women um, and many of whom are mothers. So that may be an episode for another day, but getting way, way back. Cause I kind of got off track there when I talked about 
checking in and taking care of yourselves. Um, yeah, so I want women to do that. Make sure that you're checking in and taking care of yourselves as much as you can at this time. It's a really stressful time. Holidays can be really stressful for moms and women. Um, and I just hope that, you know, you, you have a little break. I did not really have a break yesterday. I cooked, I started cooking at like 11. Um, I made a real like Southern style Thanksgiving. I put my foot in it as we say down South. Um, I made white mac and cheese. And by that, I don't mean like, like some, I'm not trying to make some sort of racial joke or whatever about like seasoning or whatever. <laughs> like it was literally, I don't, I don't mean that. Um, it was like Southern style baked mac and cheese, but what I did is I used only white cheeses. So I use, uh, mozzarella, Parmesan, um, and queso fresco, all of which are considered, you know, like white, white, dry, um, not dry, but white kind of salty cheeses and then, uh, penne pasta. So I made mac and cheese with that. Um, I made green beans, like I sauteed green beans with onions and tomatoes and a little bit of garlic. I made kale greens. So like pro tip for anyone who doesn't have time to deal with like, you know, buying greens, the collard greens, soaking them and doing the turnips and all that stuff. And you're just like tired and you want a quick greens recipe. My, my like central one, this has helped me out so much and kind of like satiates my, um, desire to eat greens at times when I can't find good ones. Uh, especially when I lived in New York, what I do is I take, like you get a bag of kale, get like two bags of kale from the grocery store or one, if you're just feeding yourself and you want to put a little bit of water in, uh, a, not water. Let me start over. You don't want to use water. You want to use, um, chicken broth or vegetable broth if you're like vegan or something or vegetarian. Um, so you put the broth in with the kale, you just like throw it in a pot. Um, and then you let it kind of simmer. You saute it, you add a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper, and then some onions. And usually what I do is like, I saute the onions first in just some olive oil. I get them kind of glassy, you know, like clear. And then you add the kale in. I'm really doing poorly with this recipe, huh? Then you add the kale in and, um, your chicken broth or veggie broth and just stir and then like put the lid on it and let it kind of steam and simmer down and it tastes like more or less like collard greens now it doesn't taste exactly like collard greens but it's like a quick easy way to make greens in you know 10 minutes um as opposed to slaving overnight you know cleaning them and doing it's just collard greens can be so much work I remember from when I was little when I would go to my great-grandmother's house in Mississippi, in Olive Branch, Mississippi, and she would have, like, straight-up greens in both. She had double sink, both sinks, like, cleaning overnight, you know, like, soaking to get all the dirt out and stuff, and she would have to do several soaks, more than one soak. It was so much work, and I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to be doing that ever. So when I found, I kind of, like, literally invented this recipe by accident, kind of, um, and then I just kept doing it and I was like, oh, this is kind of a nice alternative. Um, I know nowadays they have collard greens like already pre-washed and stuff ready to go in bags like kale, but I think I'm kind of just like, I don't know, whenever I think about making greens, I get stressed out cause I just know that it's going to be so much work and then you have to get the turnips and whatever. It's a lot of work. So I just avoid it altogether and make a kind of lighter, easier version that, that kind of, like I said, it meets my needs. It tastes good. Um, it tastes 
you know, comparable to collard greens, but without all the work. And you can season it as you like. Like you can add whatever other stuff you need to add to it um, to make it, you know, more comparable to real southern style greens. Um, so yeah, anyway, I made that and then I made um, dressing. So for those of you in the north who don't know or some other part of the country, um, dressing and stuffing are kind of interchangeable, but we say dressing in the South. So that's what I call it. I don't, I don't like, that's another thing I kind of cheat at. I don't buy a bird and like take its innards out and like, do, no, that's gross. I'm not going to be doing that. We got a rotisserie chicken, honey. Cause this is not that kind of life. Like I'm not, <laughs> I don't like dealing with meat. I kind of, I've been a vegetarian and a vegan in the past too. And I just really don't like, um, touching meat or like having to deal with raw meat. Um, and especially not like a whole animal like that. Like, no, I can't do it. And then also apparently nowadays they're saying like, don't do the stuffing because it can go rancid inside the bird. And like, it's not really like safe on a cleanliness level, um, for many reasons. And so I don't, I've never done that. I'm not a fan of that idea anyway. And usually what I do is I, um, we get like a rotisserie chicken and then I make dressing on the side. So this is the first year that I've had a child, obviously, for Thanksgiving. Last year, we did not do Thanksgiving, even though I had a child like then too. She was not yet one year old. Um, but she was just like, we were really tired. I was still pumping. I was still, you know, like, but we were bottle feeding her at that time. Cause like I said, she wasn't, she wasn't one yet. And she was just getting started with her solid foods at six months. So, um, you know, she was kind of, she wasn't really into, <laughs> into the idea of what we would call Thanksgiving food. And I didn't have the time to make that kind of food, like to really work on it. So I said, you know, let's just skip Thanksgiving. I feel like we got Chinese food or something like that. I don't even remember what we did for Thanksgiving. I just remember being exhausted and like in the blurry haze of, of early parenthood, you know, like at that point, my daughter was, uh, she would have been nine months at the time that Thanksgiving rolled around and I was just exhausted. I didn't have time to do it. But this year I was like, let me really make an effort. Let's do real Thanksgiving. And so I made that. And anyway, she has a lot of food allergies. One of them is that she has a wheat allergy. So like anything with flour in it, <laughs> just like in literally everything. And there's like literal, like there's literally flour in everything. So I had, I was looking at like a bottle of soy sauce at one point, even soy sauce has like flour in it or like wheat flour. I'm like, why, why does it have flour in it? Um, but yeah, flowers and everything like regular flour and not just wheat flour, but like literal, literally any kind of flour has wheat in it. Um, unless it's like an alternative flour, you know, like a corn flour or, a uh, you know, a, a lentil flour or whatever, oat flour, almond flour. So she's allergic to wheat. And then she just recently passed, she used to be allergic to eggs and baked goods too, but she recently passed her, what they call a challenge, her allergy, uh, wheat, I'm sorry, her egg, baked egg challenge. So now she can eat stuff that has eggs baked into it. So I was like, okay, how am I going to make dressing? Dressing has, is made generally in the South out of cornbread. So cornmeal is fine. But the problem is that when you make cornbread, you still use some flour usually. So I was like, 
okay, how am I going to make this? So what I did is I had a huge bag of masa, like corn flour, which I had forgotten about. And then I was like, oh, maybe I can use that. So I looked it up. You can use masa to make um, cornbread. So I did. And then um, I made it cornbread with like eggs, masa, a little bit of brown sugar, you know, the other just milk, the other basic things that you use to make cornbread. I made my own buttermilk um, because we didn't have any. So I put like some lemon juice in whole milk and blah, 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 blah. Long story short, I made a big like cast iron skillet of, of, uh, of cornbread, like makeshift gluten-free cornbread. And then what I did is I, um, made the dressing. So I used chicken broth with, I didn't use celery actually, which is like sacrilege, but, um, a really nice alternative is you, um, either saute or roast some, uh, squash slices, like just cut up some squash in chunks and you saute it. Or you, in my case, I roasted it in olive oil. And then you take, you do the same, you take some, um, bell pepper and onions, you saute them in olive oil in a pot, and then you add, you add in the squash You add in all your spices, you know, I put a little sage, a little bit of thyme, a little bit of rosemary, salt, pepper, cayenne pepper, um, and then you add your uh, cornbread. You just start crumbling in your cornbread. Uh, I didn't add any eggs into this one. There was no need. It was already like sticking together because the cornbread itself had eggs in it. Um, Because I know some people add more eggs to the dressing and I was like, nah, we're not going to be doing that much egg. Um... And then I, uh, sorry, I thought I heard something. Then I, I just like baked it. I put it, I poured it right back into the cast iron skillet and I baked it and then, um, like baked it for a long time too. I know they say like 40 minutes, but I baked it a lot longer than that. (laughs) I wanted to make sure it was done. Like we don't eat any raw dressing over here. So then I, um, I had that and it was really good. And then I made, um, Cranberry sauce, homemade, you know, from scratch, cranberry sauce. Cranberry sauce is very easy, though. You just, like, let it cook on the stove, and that's it. Uh, I made, like, low-sugar cranberry sauce. I don't like a ton of sugar in my cranberry sauce, so I did, like, two bags of cranberries, about a third of a cup of sugar, just, like, white cane sugar. And then um, I ate a tangerine, and I put the rind of the tangerine, like, the skin of the tangerine, rinsed it off, put it in there. Uh, for a little bit of citrusy flavor on top of the cranberries. And did I have anything else? I think that was it. Yeah, so to recap, greens, green beans, dressing, rotisserie chicken, and um, dressing. And I was going to make, and cranberry sauce, I was going to make uh, something with like potatoes or maybe like a mashed potato or whatever. And I was just like, nah, I'm too tired and we already have enough carbs. Let's just go with what, what we have. Um, a balance of like, protein, carbs, and veggies. Um, and I also planned on, we have like a bunch of leftover pumpkin pie filling that I had bought for some reason last year. I don't remember what I bought it for. Uh, I didn't end up using it. It lasts forever in the cabinets, but I was going to make, I had found like a, uh, pumpkin pie filling cookie recipe. So like you could make, you know, pumpkin 
pumpkin spice cookies or whatever with it. And I just never got around to it. Last night I was so tired. I was like, no, we're not going to do that. And there was already, you know, like an avalanche of dishes to wash. So I said, no. Um, so anyway, rambling aside, I am tired. I was like on my feet all day yesterday. And then of course, you know, like kind of halfway parenting while also cooking while also doing other stuff. And, um, and then, so today, because again, we live in a capitalist hellscape, many people had to go to work, including my husband's so like millions of people had to go right back to work on Friday. We didn't have a bridge, which is like what they call it in, um, Latin American countries and like Spain and Portugal, where you basically are, you know, what they do in their countries for most people, um, is they have, if the holidays, like in the middle of the week, uh, like a Wednesday or Thursday, they just have the rest of the week off, which to me makes a lot of sense. Cause like, even if you go back to work, you're not going to be that productive. You're going to be tired from like doing all this stuff with your family and whatever and eating and traveling and whatnot. And again, most people travel. So like, why force them to go right back into the office where they're not going to be that productive anyway. And a lot of people are going to be off work. Like people are going to be using their vacation days. So like why for, it's just silly. So like, I feel like unless it's an emergency type place, you know, like a hospital or something like people should have just the automatic days after a holiday into the weekend off that that's just my opinion. But so anyway, my husband was working. He works from home, but that doesn't mean that he gets to like come down and hang out and like help that much. It depends on the day and the volume of work he has to do and like meetings and stuff like that. So he was working all day, which meant I was taking care of the baby all day. Um, and he did help, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not guaranteed and it's not necessarily whenever I need him to come down. It's like, depends on, it depends on when, what he's doing with work. Um, and, you know, I was tired. I was just really tired on top of tired, on top of tired, on top of this, like, crazy period I'm having. And I just, after after I, you know, finished taking care of the baby and then, or my daughter, she's not really a baby anymore. She's 21 months now, which is nuts. After taking care of her, then my husband came down. We kind of switched shifts. And then I just went upstairs and passed out. Like, I said... I was like, I can't do this. I was going to eat dinner and all that stuff, but I had a late lunch and I just said, let me just go to sleep. Like, I'm exhausted and I'll wake up when I wake up. And so today I woke up again at like 11, I woke up at like 1135. I said, oh my God, I've got to record this Podmas thing. I'm already messing up on the job. Like day two is already a hot mess, but here I am. And I, I want to talk about paperwork today. I know I'm like 30 something minutes in and finally getting to the point, but Bear with me. It's a long podcast. So I, um, I posted the other day about paperwork and how paperwork and the bureaucracy involved in parenting is just so overwhelming. And that burden is often something that falls on women that's under-recognized, if recognized at all. So we talk a lot in you know, feminist spaces and just feminist rhetoric and writing about this idea of, you know, multiple shifts of labor, right? Everyone's kind of heard of the second shift or third shift of motherhood, um, working outside of the home and then the work that's required within the home. Um, but then also there's been kind of a movement to talk about emotional labor, which is very much a hidden aspect of, of women's labor in the home and, and mother's labor in particular. Um, you know, the emotional support, 
the making of appointments. I think sometimes people mention making appointments or remembering to buy things um, that that usually husbands and heterosexual relationships like don't contribute to or remember to to contribute to, but then like reap the rewards of, right? So you don't have to make the grocery list, but you'll happily enjoy the food that comes from it, right? Um, but what I've noticed is there's less of a discussion oftentimes about the paperwork that also goes into motherhood and how that in and of itself is like yet in another shift on top of multiple shifts of labor that are hidden, that are silent, invisible, and that are not only under-recognized, but like they don't get paid, right? And it's, it's, <laughs> when I say days of work, I'm not exaggerating. Like I'm being absolutely serious. So let me give you an example, right? My daughter who's 21 months now, like I said, she, I've been trying to get her into speech therapy for the longest. I noticed that she seemed to have a little bit of a delay or like she seemed to be kind of jumbling words. She was saying words, but like kind of jumbling them and didn't, she wasn't really like clear and articulate. Um, as I had seen some other kids, her age be at the stage that she was at. So I was like, okay, this was like, like I said, many months ago, this is like, literally, I'm not kidding. 17 months when I started noticing this and I said all right let me look into speech therapy I talked to her pediatrician about it she gave me a referral I called around everyone had a crazy wait list because of the pandemic and like a lot of kids are having um, speech delays because they were at home just with their parents they weren't being socialized outside of the home for most of last year in many cases um, daycares were hard to come by you know in general care was hard to come by expensive and um, a subject perhaps for another yet another day. Um, but it was expensive and, um, like understaffed staff was underpaid. There were just lots of problems during the, the earlier stage of the pandemic that are ongoing with childcare workers, um, and childcare in general. So kids oftentimes were staying at home. Moms were quitting their jobs to then take care of their kids. And we were doing the best that we could, but sometimes, you know, just not having that additional stimulation outside the home makes a difference. Um, and also we're a multilingual household. So I was like, okay, let me just see if this delay is, is about that or, you know, whatever. I just wanted to get her checked out. So I called around to a lot of places that took, that was over the course of like several mornings because I had to still be traveling to New York to teach. So I would, I would like wake up in the morning. I would wake up at, wake up is in quotation marks, by the way, cause I don't really ever sleep, but I would get up. <laughs> That's a better way to put it. I would physically get out of bed. Um, which like my bed is also my office because when I sit now, sometimes it hurts. Um, just, I don't know, after having a baby, like sitting is weird. Sometimes something happened to my lower back. I don't know. And like tailbone, <sighs> but anyway, I will be like, I would get up out of bed at five, usually five thirty. get ready and then walk to the train. The train that I take to New York is like at 7am. So I'd walk to the train I would get on the train and then go to work. So usually on the train, I don't make phone calls because I just feel like it's obnoxious. And usually I'm doing other work too. And unless I'm like, unless it's an emergency or I have to make an appointment or something, I usually don't make phone calls on the train. So I have to use my mornings when I'm not going to New York to do that or use like the time when I get immediately when I get off the train and I'm like walking into the classroom or whatever, um, I call to make appointments. But this is like, again, if you added up all the time that it took to make, to try to make those appointments, it's like, like days of work, you know? So I'm calling around to all these places 
hospitals, child centers, whatever, research institutes, blah, 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 private, public, you name it, calling around trying to do this. I'm trying to get into the public one because it's free and they're just a hot mess. Like they don't have their ducks in a row. The, the speech therapy, public speech therapy people in the Baltimore County area are like really organized and good apparently, but they also are like predominantly wealthy and like, it's just a completely separate system. So that system does well. And the city system is a hot mess. And so disorganized is not the word (laughs) It's beyond disorganized. They had a lot of people who were in and out, um, because of just like personal issues and the pandemic, everything was just a mess. And they were trying to regroup and everything's via telehealth, which is fine. But like, it's just, (laughs) I'm laughing and crying at the same time about this because it's just, it was such a mess. And then I like, I was able to get her, get my child into an evaluation by accident, literally accident. Cause like the day I called a woman who worked, this is at a private place, a woman who worked there was like, Oh, we just had someone cancel. You know, do you want to come and get evaluated? I'm like, yes, please. Thank you. And I compared it to being in like the movie Run Lola Run. For any old millennials, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But like Run Lola Run is this German movie that came out in the, I want to say late 90s, early 2000s, um, with Franca Potente, who is an actress from Germany. Duh. Um, <laughs> she was she went on to star in some American movies too. Um, but she basically is like this woman who's trying to save her boyfriend uh like she has to save his life in like an hour or something, but all this stuff, this like craziness ensues. And so she has to start over the day, like multiple times. So every time she makes like a mistake in the process of trying to save her boyfriend's life, the movie like starts over her, her life, her day or whatever, like starts over. And she has to, to go back to, to square one and like try it again. So it's like, it's like watching a live comic strip. It's a really good movie, by the way. I highly recommend it. If you have a chance, check it out. Run Lola run. So I felt like her in in that day because I was like calling around to everybody and then trying to make appointments and trying to get a spot, trying to take care of paperwork and all this stuff. So I finally get her evaluated. And then I'm like, okay, let me get started with services. You know, like we know what the, the issues are. Let's start working on them. I'm looking up stuff I can do from home. I'm like checking out all these speech therapy YouTubes and like, you know, we do Montessori at home. So I'm like thinking about Montessori approaches and all just like so much stuff, you know, like just talking about this is making me tired. Right. And then like, again, every day I'm like getting a call from these people who are like, oh yeah, we're going to call you back. And then they won't call me back after like weeks go by. And then I have to turn, I have to turn in digital paperwork and then they still don't call me back. And then, and it's just like, again, as I said, just talking about this makes me tired. Retelling all of this makes me tired because the process itself is so exhausting. Just trying to make appointments for doctor visits, for speech therapy, for this procedure or that procedure or like this thing that she has to get evaluated or that I have to get evaluated or that, you know, she needs to get blood work for blah, blah, blah. It's just like so much. And then add to that, you know, like I said, now she's going to school. So she's sick every other second, literally like I spent the past month where like month and a half where my child was in the hospital. She was in the hospital three times over like a span of two and a half weeks, three weeks. And then on top of that, you know, all the treatment and follow-ups that go with that. And then, um, you know, medicine I have to get from the pharmacy. And then 
like I said, follow-up appointments I have to get. And then oh, don't get me started on the phone calls, right? So if you look at my phone, like every single Baltimore number that was calling me over the course of that month was a hospital or a doctor's office or a lab or an evaluation of some sort or some sort of program. Just everyone and their mother was calling me, needing follow-up information, asking for asking follow-up information. How's she doing? What does she need to do? Is she taking her meds? Da, 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 da. And then... um you know, me having to make follow-up appointments. And then the fun thing now is with the pandemic, um, you know, a lot of stuff has gone to digital. So you still have to do stuff online. So even amid all these calls, like before you can start a doctor's appointment, you have to do an e-check-in. And it's like, <laughs> it's like an appointment before the appointment because you have to fill out all this stuff. And then you do your check-in. And then you have to do this every single time. So like, even though it's stored in the system, you still have to do it you have to like check all the boxes and make sure nothing has changed and blah, blah, blah. And then sometimes when you get to the office, you still have to fill out paperwork, especially if you're a new patient, you have to fill out paperwork, which by the way, despite what anyone tells you about the American health system, if they like it, yes, there are waits. There are long waits for many, many doctors and many, many specialists. I made an appointment with my physician in July, the earliest appointment I could get was in October. So that just gives you an idea of like how long, and this is for like a general physician's visit, like a physical. I had to wait that many months to get a physical. So you can imagine like just the wait time for everything here is nuts. And then on top of all of that, you have all this paperwork that goes with appointment making and scheduling and the actual like post appointment stuff and pre appointment stuff. But then add to that the bills, right? So I have quote unquote good insurance thanks to my schooling, um, my school situation. But then if I weren't in school, I don't know what I would do for insurance. Um, my husband would have to do insurance through work, which is kind of a nightmare too. And then, or not too, but it is a nightmare and it's very expensive. So that's why I would just all use my, my insurance. And then we would have to, um, like, so with, sorry, with my insurance, I get 90% of any services covered, which sounds amazing, right? You're like, all right, that's good. But you know, like I have to pay out of pocket costs just to enroll my husband and daughter, um, onto my plan. And then I have to pay for my plan. And then I have to, um, on top of that, pay that 10%, but everything's like marked up. If you can imagine, it's sort of like what I mentioned with Black Friday sales last night. So I was like, oh, you know, before they have a Black Friday sale, they just mark everything up and then they make it seem like you're getting a discount when you're not actually getting a discount. Um, and so <laughs> that's kind of what the medical system does. Yay. And so what they do, insurance companies like mark up like like hospitals, doctor's offices and insurance companies have everything marked up. And so the insurance company will cover X percentage. But then what you have to cover the rest of is still very expensive. So, you know, a doctor visit, just like a basic doctor visit, can sometimes run me, you know, $100, $150 out of pocket that I have to pay after the fact that, like, the insurance won't cover for whatever reason. Um, sometimes it's that just left over 10%. And sometimes it's, like, services that they won't cover, tests that they won't cover, whatever. It's all this stupid crap. And then you have to worry about paying those bills, right? So you've got like, an, I already have like an avalanche of bills downstairs. They come like snow <laughs> through our mail, our mail slot, you know, more um, like rain. And I have to pay those. And then we have, you know, like just kind of managing all of that. 
that's a form of paperwork. Then you have school-related paperwork, right? So every time she gets sick, every time she's out, I have to fill out a form, a digital form that's about like why she's out, you know, when she's coming back, if she's coming back this date, that date, whatever. Um, I have to fill out paperwork for holiday stuff. We have parent-teacher conferences. We have, um, you know, uh, observation day. We have all these like school-related things. Bring this, bring that, take this home, take that. Like, make sure everything is done at this time. So you have like school-related paperwork. And then you have you know, there's there are aspects of like house-related paperwork I'm managing and paperwork for my husband sometimes because he may not remember. And so like I remind him to do that. It's just like, oh, oh my God, you know, like so much paperwork. And I commented, when I commented about this, you know, someone mentioned to me that like she had adopted children and just all the paperwork that went into that. She had anxiety over it because she was always afraid that she was going to miss a deadline and then like lose her children. You know, like there are just so many things. And then I also, one of the things I think about constantly that, that is the fact that like I have the luxury, if you want to call it that, to be able to do this. Right. So there are some women who are wealthy and they just have like their assistant do this kind of stuff or like they have someone do this for them their maid their nanny whatever like is handling all of this I don't have that but what I do have is I have quote-unquote free time right like I have some breathing hours of the day wake of when people are awake and between nine and five when these things are scheduled although some of these offices have weird hours so that's another layer of like another hoop that you have to jump through right it'll be open from like 10 to 2 and you're like what why is <laughs> Why are these hours your hours? Um, but anyway, you you have to worry about the hours. But like I have I have the day time that is a little bit free to make these calls and to make these appointments. It's a very limited time that I have, but it exists. If you are a woman working a job that is, um, you know, hourly wage labor, or if you're somebody's secretary or something, you don't necessarily have the free time to make these kinds of calls. You don't have someone else who can make these calls for you. And then, especially if you are lower income, poor, working class, you have even more paperwork to worry about because you're dealing with government services that are usually, depending on where you live. I mean, like I said, I had enough experience trying to get my child into a free speech therapy that's through the city government. It, just dealing with them alone is was a nightmare. I can't even imagine if I were dealing with, you know, public medical stuff the way it's run right now or um you know welfare the way it's run right now any sort of aid to children uh snap and all of that i mean it's just like paperwork avalanche after paperwork avalanche hoop after hoop and it becomes these women's third fourth fifth job and i mean that literally like these people are working multiple jobs on top of childcare on top of caring for the home often with little or no support, physically, financially, emotionally. And then you're asked to do all this other shit that's like another layer of work that you have to put in when you literally have no time for any of that. You have negative free time, and yet you're it's insistent upon you that you have to do this. And like, I think about the fact, you know, like I was thinking about taxes, right? Like I remember once when I was in Brazil a few years ago, you know, I was talking to some friends who have, you know, like they have like regular office jobs, like nine to fives. And I was doing taxes, right? I was, cause it was, it was tax time and I was abroad, but I still had to file my taxes. And like, 
they were like, why are you doing that? Like, what are you, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm filing my taxes. Don't you have to file your taxes? And they're like, no, our jobs handle that for us. <laughs> and I just laughed because I was like, yeah, that must be nice. Right. So I guess with their payroll or whatever, their payroll people just kind of handle it. I don't know if it's still like that. And I don't think that every single job is like that. Um, like if you have any sort of informal labor, like off the, off the beaten path kind of labor, um, how that works tax wise there. But I know that for some jobs, taxes are just like taken care of by payroll. And here that's not the case. <laughs> Unless maybe if you are like a corporate lawyer or something, but even then you have an accountant and like a fleet of people helping you with your um, taxes so you can avoid paying them. <laughs> but with us regular folk, taxes can be really like, it's a lot of work. And so, you know, I remember when I used to just file the taxes and that was, I used to, I remember actually not remember filing them, but I remember the feeling that it gave me the stress and the anxiety and the annoyance of it all. Um, and just like the amount of time it took, even though I didn't have any major assets or anything fancy, but like, you know, it was just, it was just annoying that you had to do it. Right. Take the time to do that. And I just think like every day is like tax day for me right now as a parent, you know, and other parents and especially mothers, I'm sure y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. You have to just like repeatedly fill out forms that where you're answering the same thing where all this stuff could be centralized. And even when it is centralized, like on my chart and my portfolio and all these like medical system networks, you still have to fill out the same stuff over and over and over and over. And you feel like you're in this endless loop of like Sisyphean tasks and never seeing an end to the same nonsense over and over and over. And that burden is almost squarely solely on the shoulders of mothers. If I asked my husband right now, when is my daughter's next doctor's appointment? He would have no earthly idea. None. I'm lucky if he knows the doctor's names, right? Like the many docs, she sees an allergist, she sees a physician, she's, you know, she had an emergency room doctor, all these, right? It, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm like, I should do a quiz. Everyone, every mother out there, do a quiz and see if, if the father, the child's father in your life, whether you're married or not, if they know this information, if they know the physician's name, the dentist's name, when the next appointment, let's say appointments, plural, are happening, what the most recent bill is uh, in terms of costs that you have to pay and maybe like uh, what she needs for returning back to school after Thanksgiving break. Just see if he knows. <laughs> You know, the answers to any of that. Um, and, you know, again, I, I jokingly talk about um, husbands and stuff like in, in sort of like the men are trash uh, genre of things. I don't think all men are like this. I don't think all husbands are like this. But I know that, like, anecdotally speaking, 99.9% of the mothers I talk to who are in heterosexual relationships relay a very similar story. Um, but I also know that like there are people in in same sex marriages or you know non traditional non heterosexual marriages and relationships who also go through this um so shout out to everyone going through this like <laughs> it's not it's not just um mothers exclusively so i understand that but like 99.9% of the time the mother of the relationship the femme of the relationship is going to be the one doing this kind of invisible labor and um 
yeah, it's, it's very, 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 very exhausting. And I think that if we had a country that had a better safety net, like a social safety net, we wouldn't have to worry quite as much about this. Of course, there would be paperwork and things you have to fill out. But I think things would be, I would hope at least in my like imaginary world that I want to see at some point in the future, um, you know, the utopia in my mind here, that there would be a centralized spot where you just like go you fill it out once, you fill out the information once, and then you just press some buttons to send it places, kind of like common app for college applications, right? You make one application, you press some buttons about where you want to go, where you want it to go, and then you update it every now and then when necessary. And that's it. And, you know, my, my husband was saying, like, in Turkey, they have something kind of like this. <laughs> so I know it's not utopian to hope for these things, right? Um, I know that there are countries, again, with social safety nets where this is the case. Um, and I bring up Turkey and Brazil all the time because these are places that I know best. Now, Brazil is not an ideal example by any means, especially as Brazilian politicians on the far right try to copy, unfortunately, American systems um, all the time because they're they're, you know, neoliberal or um, corporatists or whatever, both, and don't really care about the people. Um, and so, like, Brazil is hyper-bureaucratic, I would argue, even more so than the U.S. Um, in that sense. So that's not a positive model to follow by any means. But there are some areas where, like, even in terms of access to medical care and stuff, I've had more positive experiences there. And I, for those of you who know my... Um, birth story and stuff, you know, you know that my, not my birth story so much as my pregnancy story, you know that like going to a doctor in Brazil is literally what saved, potentially saved my life, but definitely saved my daughter's life. Like she would not be here had I not happened to be in Brazil when I was pregnant and gone to a Brazilian doctor over my American doctor, which I immediately changed when I got back uh, from there to a new doctor. So like, you know, it's really just the, the amount of work that goes into planning, scheduling, keeping track of all this stuff, making sure that it gets done on the paperwork end is very, very, very exhausting. I think the answer to all of it is truly to have, A, a greater social safety net. So to have things publicly accessible um, and available through government aid and make it an easy process. The second part of that process would be a centralized source of this information. So like I said, a common app style online space where you fill out everything related to your, your health, your schooling, whatever you need and immunization records, you name it. And then you just press a button and it goes to where it needs to go. You don't have to, you know, scan it this way and mail it this way. It's like it's silly, you know? Um, and, and it should be accessible to you. So that's another big one, right? Which is kind of nuts. I remember when I switched, so speaking of doctor switching, when I switched gynecologists, so my, I switched my OBGYN, my initial one when I got pregnant, to a new one, I had to transfer medical records. And I left that doctor without telling her because I just, I noticed that like her quote unquote care was insufficient. And she literally almost um, killed my baby, basically, when she was still in the womb. So that was a problem. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I was like, you don't deserve any more information. Like, I don't, I don't need to give you the courtesy of letting you know that I'm switching doctors. I'm just switching doctors. I'm not, I don't owe you anything. I'm not obligated to tell you anything, especially not after that. 
And so I switched doctors, but that meant transferring my information. And it was a difficult process. So even though one hospital system uses one system, the other hospital system uses another, but they like communicate all the time. They literally have doctors that work at both in through both systems. Like when my child was in the NICU, I would get doc, she would have doctors come and see her who also work at this other hospital. So like, it shouldn't have been a big deal, but I had to go and like sign off authorization to transfer the paperwork. If I wanted to see the paperwork, if I wanted to see a physical copy of all of my records, I had to like <laughs> pay to get that photocopy to have a physical copy and like all the, it was just nuts. I was like, this is crazy. Like, why can't I just have access to my own information, you know? And it almost reminded me like in retrospect of, you know, the recent discussions around conservatorships that came up with Britney Spears's um, situation. And like, it makes you feel like that, you know? And I know some people who have disabilities I've been learning have to deal with this on a regular basis. Like everything is, is like dealing with a literal conservatorship. In some cases, it literally is a conservatorship because of whatever their disability is. And like, it's just so unnecessary, you know? And it, it's not just me complaining, right? It's me recognizing, and many of you recognizing actually, that there's a systemic problem, right? Like there's a problem when people who are already overburdened with so many things have to jump through all these hoops just to get basic care, basic needs met for themselves and their children, their families, their loved ones. Like this is unreal, you know? Like it's unnecessary. It shouldn't be that way. We should have a centralized, easy to access, personally accessible system that you can just transfer information to and from and that is equally applicable throughout the medical system throughout the school system everything and then there should just be you know like on top of the ease of doing the paperwork there should also be an acknowledgement of the simple fact that like this stuff shouldn't cost so much money like why am I doing the work of 10 secretaries for each and every one of these services and then on top of that paying them <laughs> like are you kidding me you know like it's just so frustrating and I, I I don't like looking at you know my paycheck dwindle because I'm paying out of pocket for insurance costs but then I'm still paying for the insurance it doesn't make any sense and it shouldn't be like that we should have medicare for all we should have some sort of, I mean, even like, even if you just look at single payer systems, right? And I know that's not the ideal, but like comparatively speaking to what we have now, even just like a basic single payer, um, you know, would have been better. And well, <laughs> we don't have anything close. What we have is a hyper corporate, hyper capitalist, um, you know, hyper bureaucratic system that literally feels like it exists in order to harm us, which in many cases it does. And it shouldn't be that way. And I think, you know, for me, my hope is that at one point in the future, we have someone who wakes up and realizes, at least who's in power, who wakes up and realizes they need to start listening to us and they need to consider the needs that the people actually have and apply the requests that and demands that we're making, right, in a way that works for our lives. Right now, we don't have that kind of representation, unfortunately. And I think that, you know, without a doubt, that's what we need. And, um, you know, um, we, as much as we talk about doing things outside of the system to make change, 
these sorts of things we can't really make without systemic change. We cannot make without pushing the system and whether within or outside of that part has to change on a systemic level. And we have to acknowledge that, you know, like in this case, we need people in office to make those changes. We can't make changes to the insurance system at a march. You know what I'm saying? So we have to come up with some strategies on that. I don't have the answers. I'm not here for the answers necessarily, but I'm here to just kind of get you all thinking like, I know that you're going through this too. If you're listening to this, you most likely have some sort of interest in what I'm talking about. And you've seen, gotten a bite of this apple. You know what, what it's like. And, um, you know how frustrating it is. And I think that if we were able to perhaps come together and put pressure on politicians, put pressure even on the tech sector, something to like make these changes, that would be really helpful. Like how much time it would alleviate from parents and mothers in particular. I mean, it's incalculable. There's so much time that would be freed up for us, you know? Many of our lives would change if we just didn't have to worry about these like layers upon layers upon layers upon hours upon days of paperwork. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to underestimate how drastically they would change too. Because as I said before, if you're already reliant on government services and you're dealing with a lower income, lower, lower paying job, you know, hourly wage labor, you often don't have any free time. You may be working multiple jobs and there, you don't have, you just ain't nobody got time for that. Like you don't have time to freaking do this. It's not, it's not, and should not be on your list of priorities. And yet you still have to get it done. And, and I just hate that, you know, like I hate it for myself, but as I said, I, I, I empathize, but then particularly sympathize later on, you know, down the line here, thinking about those who have even more, um, aggressive versions of this kind of bureaucracy that they're dealing with. And on top of that, if you have, if you have multiple children, like I said, if you're working a lower income job, if you rely more on government services, you know, and I'm not just to be clear, I'm not a libertarian in any way. I'm not saying get rid of government services. I'm saying improve them and streamline this process. So not just so we don't get it twisted. Nobody out there thinks that I'm saying scrap the government services. I'm saying we need more government services, but that they need to be run efficiently and without so much, so without having to jump through so many hoops to get the most basic care that we need and deserve, um, and that we should demand of our, of our government. So with that said, just know that I hear you, I see you, and I can empathize with you. I feel you on this. Like I'm dealing with it too. It's a lot. And it's a lot at a time when like, we have so many other stresses going on in the world, constant drama with health and livelihoods and everything just on the line. This is the last thing we want to deal with. The last thing you want to deal with is filling out some stupid paperwork when you feel like the world around you is just like burning and melting and, and just fizzling out, you know? And it's almost, it's like depression inducing in and of itself because it's just one more thing on top of everything else that you have to get done. And yet it's so important that if you don't do it, you don't get the services you need. And so it's like this weird combination of like extremely stressful and tiring and yet seemingly so <laughs> like, so it look it sounds so minor when you're talking to people about it who maybe don't understand. And you're like, yeah, I got to fill out all these forms and shit. And like, oh, they're just forms. But like they're forms that you have to have done by a certain deadline and the deadlines too become something else you have to keep track of. And if you don't fill it out, you don't get food. You don't get healthcare. You don't get 
access to services that you need. I mean, that's a problem, you know? Stuff should be automatically set up. Why is everything a freaking burden just to get basic needs met? That's a problem. So I hope one day that it changes, and I hope that one day this podcast episode, at least what I'm detailing here, is an obsolete conversation. And it's one that people can look back on and say, man, they really had it bad back in the day. If this ends up in an archive and y'all are still doing this shit, I'm sorry. (laughs) It means we didn't fight hard enough to change it. And uh, I'm sorry about that. Hopefully it doesn't get worse, but it gets better. And on that note, I'm going to close this podcast. It has been great rambling, (laughs) but I hope truly that it kind of served as a venting session for some of you who are going through something similar, who are seeing moms go through something similar. Um, just so you can kind of know that you deserve that support. And you, if you're not a mom, like go offer some help and support to someone who is, cause we need a break, man. Like it's, it's rough out here. Um, I hope that you all are recovering well from, from also the Thanksgiving burden, as I mentioned before, that you were able to relax and that you are able to relax this upcoming weekend at some point. Um, yeah. And so praying about that for you guys and myself. I laugh, but it's true for myself. I need it as well. Maybe I can have my moment of relaxation and self-care during my two-hour long MRI imaging appointment tomorrow, Saturday. We'll see. I guess it's today now that it's 1256, right? I think that counts as today. Um, But yeah, maybe, maybe, (laughs) which I will talk about later, by the way. But yeah, I have a two-hour MRI scheduled that apparently I can't get up and use the bathroom during or anything. So that's going to be really fun. Um, Sarcasm, just in case that's not clear. But maybe I can sleep during the MRI. We'll see. Despite all the banging noises and things like that, maybe I can just use that time to center myself and meditate and think about nothing but the white lights and the weird sounds and just kind of zone out for a minute or two hours (laughs) and have a break. Uh, yeah. Anyway, thanks you all for listening. And again, just make sure that you check out the rest of Left Pocket Project, it's not all about me rambling about motherhood and bureaucracy, by the way. Um, we have, for those of you who may be new to the program, um, we have a book club called Reading Revolution, where we read and discuss the works of leftists of color or those that inspired them. Um, we also have, again, Comrade Mommy, which you're listening to now. Uh, We have interviews with scholars, activists, journalists, people in the community about histories of leftists of color. Um, So definitely check that out. You can find us, of course, wherever you find your podcasts. Um, Also, we're on social media. And all you have to do is search for Left POC. That's L-E-F-T-P-O-C. Again, that's L-E-F-T-P-O-C. And also make sure that you check out our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash you know it, Left POC, where you can donate a dollar or more per month to help this process roll on, um, help things stay free over here for the general public, and also, of course, to check out any resources that we have there for um, our listeners and people involved and interested in the project. Um, It's there for you whether you donate or not, so definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, stay safe, take care of yourselves. Don't forget uh, to take care of yourselves. That's really important. 
tomorrow I'll talk about MRIs and maybe a little bit about MS and healthcare in general in this country and what a mess it is. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe I'll have on a few guests coming up soon. So be on the lookout for that. And yeah, again, take care of yourselves. Everybody be well and uh, talk soon.